I'm just going to come right out of the gate and ask you something super personal and perhaps a little embarrassing. Do you ever pee when you sneeze or cough? Does it hurt to have sex? Or maybe you leak a little when you're running or lifting something heavy. Okay, here's the thing. As embarrassing as it may be to talk about, pelvic floor issues are super common, but they're not something you have to live with. I am bringing Jocelyn Bonet back on the show today. She is a women's health physical therapist, and she specializes in pelvic floor physical therapy and women's health issues in general. And I am bombarding her with a ton of questions and hopefully getting you some answers to things that you've been wondering about, struggling with, and perhaps a little embarrassed to ask. Maybe stick in your headphones for this one instead of projecting it through the car full of kids. Because if you do, you're going to just get a ton of questions that you might not really feel like answering right now. That's just a word to the wise. (laughs) But we are going to talk all about pelvic floor issues. How to do proper Kegels. Yes, there's a right and a wrong way to do them. And she's even going to answer a bunch of listeners submitted questions at the end, like, is there anything we can do to prevent tearing during delivery? Is there anything that we can do at home to prevent needing to see a pelvic floor therapist? And is it too late to get the pelvic floor fixed after 12 years? And there's even more questions, too, that are really good. So if you are curious about this stuff and need some real intelligent answers, this episode is for you. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Strong Mamas Podcast, where we're talking about our fitness and food choices as moms in real life and in light of our faith as Christ followers. I'm your host, Megan Dahlman, and together we'll be exploring what it means to be a healthy, strong mama in the middle of a culture that's obsessed with vanity. This podcast is all about helping and equipping you to take better care of yourself and the ones you love. So Jocelyn, I feel like the first time we actually met was at Costco, wasn't it? I do remember that. (laughs) So funny. I feel like I always run into people at Costco. (laughs) Our eyes met across the aisle and I said, or you said Jocelyn and I said, Megan. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. I can't tell you how many people I have met from Strong Mamas that they recognize me or I recognize them. And it's like, well, we're in Costco. Of course, that's the perfect place to meet. (laughs) Yes. So funny. Okay. So you're a physical therapist that specializes in women's health and the pelvic floor. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about exactly what it is that you do? Uh, Yes. So I have been a physical therapist for 20 years with a specialty in pelvic health slash women's health that entire time. Um, The pelvic health physical therapy focuses on all things pelvic and abdominal. So any issues with pregnancy, um, pelvic pain, incontinence, either urinary fecal incontinence, pain with intercourse, GI-related issues, so constipation, um, abdominal cramping, post-surgery, so if people have scar tissue or adhesions post-surgery, physical therapy can also help with that. Wow. So kind of pretty much everything from like rib cage to knees. (laughs) Rib cage, knees, and really head to toe because it all, posture and everything, it, it all plays in. 
Completely, completely. So I know that whenever I coach and chat with women about the pelvic floor, everyone can't seem to, they, everyone giggles. It's almost like this taboo topic that everyone's a little embarrassed to talk about. And it always seems so funny and so personal, but it's a, it's a topic that many of us really do need to talk about. It seems like whenever the subject comes up, so many be feel the ability to admit that they're suffering from some sort of pelvic floor dysfunction also, and they've just been so embarrassed to bring it up. So do you feel like this subject and maybe your field in general needs, maybe deserves to be a little bit destigmatized? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, God made our bodies. God made our pelvic floor. God made Mm. sex to be wonderful. And we need to not be afraid to talk about an issue in our pelvic floor region, just like we're not afraid to talk about neck pain, because it's just a part of the body that's good and that's healthy and deserves focus and attention. So absolutely, I would love for it to be destigmatized. And the best way for that to happen is for people to talk, people to just talk to each other about um, about their issues and and know that they're not alone, not alone at all. Mm. Yeah, oh, that is so good. So good. And I've even heard that in some European countries and maybe in Canada also, it's kind of common practice now that during that postpartum phase and maybe even during pregnancy, um, that they're requiring as part of the postpartum care for every mom to include seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist. Like they are all starting to value the benefit of what you do. So do you feel like that would be helpful for us here too? I think that would be amazing. I've wanted that for years and years. I've said it to patients over the years. I mean, by having it be a um, just a standard procedure after delivery and even before just opens up the possibility and the awareness for women that, that there may be an issue. And if they ever experience anything, they know where to reach out for help. Um, So uh, I think it'd be amazing if we can get to that point in our country. Yeah. And even for someone who doesn't, who might not have like an issue that they're noticing already, just to have that connection with someone that Mm -hmm. they've created beforehand when an issue comes up, so valuable, so valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about maybe some of the most common issues that women come to see you for. What are what are probably the big ones, the, the ones that you find yourself taking care of the most? Um, urinary and fecal incontinence, pain with intercourse, um, pelvic organ prolapse, and then pelvic issues like pubic symphysis dysfunction or sacroiliac dysfunction where they have pain in the joints of the pelvis. Um, Mm -hmm. Those are probably the main things that I see people for. Okay. Yeah. I feel like we've heard about the urinary incontinence a lot, a lot, but the fecal incontinence, that's something that, that seems like not very many people would ever want to talk about that one. (laughs) People are more embarrassed to talk about it, um, Mm -hmm. but it can be helped just as much with physical therapy as the urinary incontinence. And fecal incontinence is also, is not just leaking stool. It can also be leaking gas. Mm. Like when you move from sit to stand, you leak gas or you cough or sneeze, you leak gas Um, or not being able to hold it in when you want to. That, that also counts as fecal incontinence or anal incontinence. 
Okay. Interesting. And then talk to me about the pelvic organ prolapse. Explain what exactly that is. So the pelvic organ prolapse is, it can be the bladder, the uterus and cervix, and or the bowel all coming into the vaginal canal a little bit. Um, Pelvic organ prolapse after either a C-section or a vaginal delivery is extremely common. It doesn't have to be um, severe. Some even are saying that everybody who's had a pregnancy with either a vaginal or a C-section delivery have a, a grade one prolapse. Wow, um, I've never heard that. That's amazing. But so that being said, just because you have one does not ever absolutely uh, mean that you need surgery nor does it mean you're going to have dysfunction with it, but the pelvic floor strengthening is key to keeping things from um, descending further, falling out. Um, And there are four stages of prolapse. So the grade one is where it's just the fascial um, lining of the vagina is just weakened a little bit. So the organs are bulging in just slightly. You may not even have any idea that that's happening. Um, stage two or grade two is where it comes down almost to the opening of the, of the vagina. Grade three is where it's coming out of the vagina, but can kind of go back up and in sometimes. And then grade four is where it's all the way out and where if you push it back in, it falls completely right back out. Okay. Interesting. And then just regular urinary incontinence. How is that different than stress urinary incontinence? Well, with urinary incontinence, there's two types. So urinary incontinence is the global word. And then there's two general types. One is called stress urinary incontinence. One is called urge urinary incontinence. So stress incontinence is generally when there is a force. So a cough or a sneeze, or you're lifting, walking, running, jumping. So there's an external force that's causing increase in the intra-abdominal pressure without the pelvic floor strength. And so urine's leaking out. Um, the urge incontinence is where you get the sensation that you need to go to the bathroom. And this can happen also with fecal. So you pull into your driveway or you're walking into your house and all of a sudden the urge to, to go comes on super, super strong and you rush to the bathroom and don't make it. Interesting. Yeah. Do you feel like people deal with both of those types of incontinence equally, or is there one that's more common than the other? Oh, um, probably pretty equally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and often people have both. So it's called mixed incontinence when, when that's the situation, but they're treated completely differently. Oh, okay. Fascinating. Okay. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a, in a bit, but now you mentioned when we were talking about rib cage knees, um, that it's all kind of connected. And I know that I personally have referred women to you for certain back pain and hip pain that goes beyond just the acute spot that they're experiencing the pain. And I have felt like, well, maybe this is connected into the pelvic floor region because mm-hmm. it really it kind of all is. So is it fairly common for someone that's experiencing issues, maybe in other areas of their core region to find relief and maybe even breakthrough by addressing their pelvic floor muscles too. I mean, how common are these things all interrelated? Well, very common they're interrelated. Um, The pelvic floor is the base of the core. So when you're dealing with any hip, leg, back, spine dysfunction, the core strength, meaning the 
abdominals, the diaphragm, the back muscles, and the pelvic floor all need to be strengthened and coordinated and able to relax and contract and work appropriately. So definitely they're, they're interrelated. I'm lucky enough to work in a clinic with a bunch of therapists, most of whom are orthopedic therapists. And, um, and then me and one other therapist do the pelvic health. But what they love is if they have a patient with back pain or hip pain, that's just not getting better with conventional physical therapy. Um, they'll refer them to us and we can assess their pelvic floor. And almost always that's the missing link. They have trigger points in those muscles that we can work on manually to release. We can work on the strength and the coordination, the ability to relax. And that is usually the breakthrough to get them back to health and back to the way they want to function. That is amazing. Because I feel like there's probably a lot of people listening that have been suffering from back pain or even hip pain, maybe hip flexor pain for a long time Mm -hmm. and have perhaps gone to see spine therapists or spine surgeons even. Mm -hmm. And maybe they're not looking at it from a 360 degree view. And maybe just seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist could be that breakthrough for them. It is. It is. It often is. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. So also kind of part of the core and and thinking about postpartum health and just women's health in general. So do you feel, do you frequently see the diastasis recti, the, the separated abdominals along with pelvic floor issues? Do they frequently go hand in hand? And are those two things treatable kind of simultaneously? Yes, they are definitely treatable simultaneously. Um, you can, you can have one without the other. Um, so having a diastasis doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have pelvic floor, um, function issues, but they, they can go hand in hand. And yes, they're both very, very treatable. Um, to get a diastasis during the end stages of pregnancy is normal because the abdominals are getting super stretched, but within about two to four weeks after delivery, it should be closing, or four to six weeks, it should be closing um, pretty well. That meaning it should not be more than two finger separation above the belly button, which you can check by lying on your back and putting your fingers um, horizontally, lifting your head and shoulders up to engage the rectus abdominis, and then feeling that space in between. The muscles. Mm-hmm. So if it is two fingers or less, that's within normal limits. If it's bigger than that, it really needs to be addressed if it's not steadily closing after delivery. Interesting. And I can post a link to a self-assessment video, one that I have found to be very helpful. So someone can see how that self-assessment is done. So go into my show notes and you can find a link to see how to do a self-assessment. So when someone is taking care of their diastasis and working on healing it, would it be valuable for them at the same time to be considering the strength of their pelvic floor too? I mean, do those things, as you get one stronger and maybe the tension and the function of the tissues in one area, is that going to really, would it be beneficial to make sure that everything is stronger? Yes, it would, uh, because those are the they're two sections of the core, and they really need to be working together, coordinatedly, and with equal strength. So, yes, it's definitely important. Right, right. 
So I feel like it might be helpful for women to just kind of understand, maybe just in general terms, the basic anatomy of the pelvic floor. I know we're not on video here. No one can see this, but can you perhaps describe just the the muscles and the shape and, and what's going on in the pelvic floor? Because I, I think it's helpful to know that these are muscles just mm-hmm. like other muscles on our body. For some reason, we think of these muscles like they're different, like they're just soft tissues that don't have a job. So maybe if you can just explain the general anatomy. Absolutely. I say that those exact same words every single day. These are muscles just like any other muscle in your body. Mm-hmm. And they're, um, they're, I think, more vast than people picture. Um, the group of muscles go from your pubic bone to your tailbone, and then side to side from sit bone to sit bone. So it's this large hammock-shaped muscle that's pierced by the urethra, the vagina, and the anus. Okay. There are three layers of muscles. The most superficial layer of muscle are involved in sexual arousal and orgasm. The second layer are your sphincters, your urethral sphincter and your anal sphincter. So important for um, them to be strong enough to kink off those areas so you don't leak, but also important for them to be able to relax so that you can have an easy urination and easy bowel movement. And then the third layer, the deepest layer of muscles um, are our postural support and our organ support. Okay, great. So when people are talking about maybe postpartum during or during delivery, when they have tears, Mm -hmm. when they consider the degree of tears, what are they talking about there? Are they talking about the layers of muscle that have been torn through or what's, what are they considering? They are usually talking about how far back it goes. So a grade, a grade one just goes a little ways. A grade two goes into more of the center area and a grade three goes all the way to the external anal sphincter. So you can tear the anal sphincter and that really increases risk of um, fecal and anal incontinence. Okay. That makes sense. But people can also tear up into the vagina or sideways or up to the urethra. And they usually aren't graded the same way. It's just kind of mentioned. Okay. Okay. So then knowing that our pelvic floor is made up of muscles because we think of the, all the other muscles on the rest of our body, like, oh, it's just really, really good for whatever muscle we have to be as strong as it possibly can be. Is the best thing for every woman to have a crazy strong pelvic pelvic floor muscle? I feel like there's kind of this bizarre trend out there with the jade egg thing, mm-hmm. and if people know what that is. But um, just to have a super strong vagina, and is that good? Is it bad? Or maybe we're not hearing the whole story. Um, it's, it's unnecessary. I mean, I've seen Mm. pictures of a lady holding a surfboard with her. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's unnecessary. Why? Why? Right. Why? It can be damaging to your partner. First of all, it can, um, create pain if you're unable to relax those muscles. So being super, super strong is, um, not necessary with just like any muscle in the body. It's, as important to know how to contract the muscle as it is to know how to completely relax the muscle. So if you are worried about leaking or worried about prolapse, sometimes people hold hold too much tension in their pelvic floor because they're fearful, fearful of 
if they let it go, what'll happen. But Mm. just like when you bend your elbow, you want your hand to come all the way up to your shoulder. And then you want to relax your biceps and have your elbow extend completely. We need the pelvic floor to be able to work along its entire range of motion as well on the full contract and then the full relax. Very good. Yeah. I feel like that's something most people don't even consider that a muscle, even no matter what muscle on your body, whether it is the pelvic floor or your bicep or your quad, it needs to know how to contract well appropriately Mm -hmm. at the right time with an appropriate amount of strength, but then also how to shut off and not be in full contraction too. Exactly. And sometimes if it's in full contraction all the time, that can also lead to incontinence because it's fatigued. It never has a chance to stop working and rest, and then it can't do the extra that's needed when you cough or sneeze or jump. Fascinating. That makes complete sense. Yeah. So I know that intra-abdominal pressure, so kind of the pressure on the inside of our core, has a big effect on the pelvic floor. And I've told some people when they're walking around trying to keep their abs really tight, thinking that, well, if I just hold my abs in really tight all day long, I will look like I have a flatter stomach and maybe even have stronger abs. But I feel like that's increasing their pressure on the inside of their core and perhaps pressing into the pelvic floor more. So is that, am I correct on this? Is this intra-abdominal pressure a really important thing for us to consider? It is. It is. Um, So as the diaphragm moves, as the abdominal muscles move, that increases the pressure in the abdomen below the the diaphragm and pushes the organs down. Um, Mm. Our organs should move up and down with every breath. With movement, they should be free-flowing. And then that movement allows the pelvic floor to move up and down. That being said, every muscle in the body should be resting at a certain tension. So no, we don't need to pull our abdominals in super, super tight to make us look skinny and flat, which then applies the pressure down. But we also don't want them to be non-active either and just relaxed and hanging out there where you kind of have that pregnant belly look. Um, Mm. So there should be kind of a mid-range tone that can be there. And then with that mid-range tone of the deep, the inner core muscles, the transverse abdominis, there should also be a, a like a 20% contraction of the pelvic floor going on. That's just a little bit of tone in through the pelvic floor. So it's supporting things, but not overly contracted. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So we need to kind of practice going around with just a small amount of tone, a small amount of contraction, kind of everywhere on our body at any given moment. Exactly. Thinking about posture is a is a good way to do it. So if you think okay. about lifting through your sternum, just uh, a teeny belly button to your spine, mm-hmm. Kegel, and that, that really makes a big difference. Okay. I like that. That's easy to do too. So let's say that someone does have a weak pelvic floor that needs attention. What might their typical symptoms be for them to kind of notice like, oh, this is something I should be looking for? Um, any leakage. So if urine squeaks out when they're doing anything or even walking or they're not aware and they're just wet at the end of the day, that's a sign um, that they need care. If Interesting because I feel like there's probably a lot of moms that are just kind of living with that, thinking it's yeah. not a big deal. And 
unfortunately in our country, it's, it is, uh, well, this happens after babies. It happened to my mom. It happened to my grandma. It happened to my mm-hmm. aunt. It's just going to happen to me. And that is, while it's common, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to just live with it. It is a correctable problem in almost yeah. all cases. The other thing with a weak pelvic floor is the pelvic organ prolapse. So just a general feeling of pelvic heaviness or noticing a bulge when you wipe or um, anything down there, you feel a little ball. That's a sign that there's um, some sort of weakness and issue that needs to be addressed in the pelvic floor. Okay. That's really good to know. I didn't hear that last part before. Very good. So, okay. So let's say someone does have a little bit of leakage. Like you said, some urine squeaks out when they're just doing a few activities. What can someone do to go about strengthening these muscles, maybe just on her own and the whole Kegel concept? Let's talk about that. And they really are the most important muscles for the pelvic floor. It's just a name. It's a name of a doctor who identified those muscles and how to contract them. And so it's not some magic anything. It's It's just just, Mr. Kegel. (laughs) It's just Dr. Yeah. Dr. Kegel. Dr. Kegel. (laughs) Um, Identified and said, Hey, we should do these contractions. And that's why they have that name. So all it is, is recruiting those muscles in the pelvic floor, the ones that we talked about that go from the pubic bone to the tailbone and from sit bone to sit bone. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are the muscles that do need to be engaged to kink off the urethra and to uh, close the anus so that you don't leak. So a a way to think about contracting those muscles um, is to picture your whole pelvic floor as a baseball diamond. Mm. And you want to pull all the bases toward the pitcher's mound. Does that make sense? So you're pulling front. Totally makes sense. Yeah. Front to back and side to side toward the center. And then if you can also think about a little lift at the same time, that is an excellent way to engage those muscles in through the pelvic floor. Okay. Because I feel like probably most women would think about a a Kegel as just maybe clamping down on a tampon. And if that's wrong, that's not wrong. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's not, not wrong. wrong. It's just a different way to think about it if you're having trouble trouble with that. It, um, the baseball diamond analogy gets a little bit more of the muscles. Okay. Just like when you do a quad contraction, if you think about your inner quad, you can sometimes engage that a little bit more. Same sure. thing through the pelvic floor. If you think front or you think back, you can engage some of those muscles a little bit more front or back. Um, if you're only thinking of the tampon, you're kind of missing full engagement of all the muscles, but it's not wrong. It's just maybe not as complete as it could be. Sure. Sure. So once someone has figured out how to do it properly, what's like the frequency and the repetitions and and what do we need to know how many to do? Um, If someone has dysfunction, weakness or prolapse of some sort, they need to do a little bit more than someone who's functioning well and just needs to maintain strength. So everyday women should really be doing Kegels and Mm. preferably eventually in standing because it's the most functional position. Plus it is, um, you're, you're weightlifting, gravity's pulling down and you're lifting up against gravity. Um, but it's important to work both sets of muscle fibers in through the pelvic floor. There's fast twitch and slow twitch muscle fibers. So you want to do 
shorter holds where you're going to lift up, hold for one to two seconds, release it completely, lift up, hold for one to two seconds, release it completely. And you want to do about 15 of those twice a day. And then you want to do 10 second long holds where you contract and hold it for 10 seconds, relax it for five to 10 seconds and do about 15 of those twice a day. And really that is often enough to kind of re-engage those muscles and get them stronger. When someone Mm -hmm. is coming into physical therapy and they're having specific issues that they're having trouble with, such as coughing or sneezing or jumping or lifting, we um, use biofeedback, which um, just senses the activity that's going on in through the muscles and gives a picture or graph on a screen so that people get that visual of what their muscles are doing. And then we can work specifically on those activities. Because often, even if someone is strong, if the coordination isn't there, they're not contracting the muscles at the correct time, they will still leak. So that's some of the more specific things that we would do in the clinic to get people where they want to be. Yeah. And I have found just that once someone knows how to do a, a Kegel well and then does kind of practices it during the day, it might be helpful for them to practice it while doing s- stressful things, like whether it could be just strength training, like oh, maybe yeah, doing definitely. a squat mm-hmm. or while you're doing exercises that perhaps spread the legs and maybe pull a little a little more length into the pelvic floor where it might be compromised naturally. Mm-hmm. So perhaps just practicing bringing your attention to your pelvic floor as you're doing those exercises. And then of course, like while you're jumping or high knee jogging or things like that. Yeah. So I, I tell people anytime they're doing any weight training anywhere. So as you're doing a bicep curl or an overhead press or a squat, you should be doing a Kegel contraction. So on the work portion, you want to be exhaling because that um, descends the um, or it uh, makes the diaphragm rise up, and then you want to do a Kegel contraction at the same time. Perfect. So all of that helps engage in support. Perfect. I love it. I love it. So, okay, so that's weak pelvic floor. Now, is it possible for a woman to have a pelvic floor that is too strong? And I know we talked about this just a little bit. For someone who's got the over-contracting pelvic floor, what might be some of their symptoms associated with that? Um, often it's pelvic pain. So pain with intercourse, pain with bowel movements. Um, it can be constipation. It can be difficulty um, with bladder emptying. Um, those are the main things we see when they're, the pelvic floor muscles aren't. And it's not even necessarily too strong, just not relaxing. They're holding okay. too much tension. So right. you can be super tight and weak. Mm. So tight muscles doesn't necessarily equal strong muscles. Um, it can, but it doesn't always. Okay. So then with someone who has over contracted muscles is seeing, a someone like you probably the best route for them to go. It sounds mm-hmm. like it's maybe less possible to, to correct that just marginally at home yeah, on their it's own. A, it's a lot more difficult for people to know, um, how to relax those muscles. It takes a lot of education to teach people how to let go, how to do that reverse Kegel. Sometimes it's a, it's, yeah, it's just difficult. And then also they often benefit from trigger point work to the muscles and manual stretching. So 
getting getting the muscles back to their normal tension with some um, specific help. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so I received a couple questions from listeners, and these were really good, really good questions. So first question came from Kim, and she said, my oldest is 12 and my youngest is almost four. I went back to running too early after my first, but don't really run anymore now. Is it too late to get the pelvic floor fixed after 12 years? And then she says, when I sneeze often or cough hard or jump around, I piddle or feel like I will, even if I just emptied my bladder. I'm assuming this is related to a pelvic floor. So I feel like there's probably three different questions in here. Um, The first one is, is her bladder leakage due to a pelvic floor or a weak pelvic floor? Uh, Yes. Okay. Either weak pelvic floor or poor coordination or both. Okay. Okay. And then the big one, is it too late for her to fix this? It is never too late. That's the great thing. It is never, ever, ever too late. Awesome. So no matter how old your kids are or how long it's been since you gave birth, there is still hope. (laughs) Oh yeah. I see patients in their sixties and seventies who, um, have never received help and they've been leaking for 40 years and then they get better. I love that. I love that. And then when should someone start running again postpartum? I mean, do you feel like with women that you see, there's kind of like a general, because I feel the information out there is, oh, six weeks, go ahead and start doing whatever your activities. But is there something more that someone should be looking for or maybe monitoring to help them decide whether it's time to try running again? Well, truly being honest with themselves about the level of activity that they were doing before delivery is mm. huge. So it's really, really individualized. There's not a flat number. For for me, I absolutely wouldn't start running um, before six to eight weeks with a vaginal birth, 10 to 12 weeks with a C-section for sure. It takes, it takes six to eight weeks for tissue to heal. So going before that isn't good. Um, childbirth is trauma. It's trauma to those muscles. They get rapidly stretched and it just takes time. So that's the absolute bottom. And then you really need to start with um, getting your abdominals, glute muscles, pelvic floor muscles stronger um, before running. And then you want to ease in, do interval training or like a couch to 5k sort of program where where you're really easing in, even if you were running um, five miles up until the day the baby was born, you want to ease back in slowly. Someone who was running that much beforehand may be able to progress quicker than someone who hasn't run since um, their first trimester. Sure. But so, I mean, I guess there's not a hard and fast rule, but slower is probably better. Yeah. So they could maybe they've been carefully working on strengthening their deep inner core muscles, their pelvic floor muscles, their glutes. And And, then those are things you can start immediately. You can start those day after day after. So, but go on. Sorry. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that it's, let's say that they've done all those things and maybe from that day after and have been very careful. And then once they decide, I I think I'm going to try running again, it's probably best for them to just run for one minute and see Mm -hmm. how it goes and then walk for a little bit, run for two minutes, see how it goes. So just really easing into it. Yeah. And then perhaps once they do start running and maybe they do experience some bladder leakage, should they take some more time to heal before? Yes. So take some more time to heal, work on 
strengthening with some squats, maybe some jumping at home, jogging in place and see okay. if you can control the leakage there and then go out and try again after maybe another week or something and see how it goes. Yeah, that's really helpful. Okay, so Davielle had a question. Are there any particular symptoms to look for that would tell us that we really do need to go see a pelvic floor physical therapist, that these are things that we can't work on on our own? Because there's just, you know, I mean, simple, just good core and pelvic floor strengthening that we could probably work on our own. But when do we know, okay, it's time you need to go? Um, Really, if there's any dysfunction, I think it's probably best dysfunction, meaning leaking or pain or prolapse, I think it's probably best to see a specialist just to make sure that what you're doing at home is the best thing you can be doing. Make sure you're doing the exercises correctly. So, so often on people's first visit, they do a Kegel contraction when I ask them and it's completely the wrong thing, completely Mm -hmm. the wrong thing. Um, It's not difficult to teach them how to do the right thing, but it's nice for them to have that feedback of, oh yeah, there you go shut those off. You don't need to be recruiting those things. This is how you need to do it. And, and that helps. So even just a one-time check, um, is beneficial. And then if more help is needed, uh, we're there. I love it. So kind of across the board. (laughs) Yeah, really. And that goes back to the, wouldn't it be great if people could come right right after delivery? It would be so amazing. It would be so good. Yeah. Okay. So Davielle had another question. Is there anything that we can do to prevent tearing from delivery? So kind of prior to delivery, maybe in those last few weeks leading up to your due date, is there something that a mom can do to kind of prevent tearing? It seems like the medical community is not really in agreement on this. What do you think? Yeah, the perineal massage is really helpful. Okay. Um, I usually tell people to start that about six weeks prior to their uh, due date. Okay. And so that is um, putting a couple fingers inside the vagina with uh, lubrication of some sort and pushing down into the side and circling down to the middle and then up the other side and go back and forth, back and forth. You want to get that burning sensation so that you know you're really stretching the tissues and that helps prepare prepare okay. the tissues. The other thing that can help is to slow the intensity of the push during delivery. Mm. So yeah. um, one doctor I used to work with who was fantastic with the pelvic floor before he retired, he would tell his patients during pushing, he's like, no, 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 don't push so hard. Don't push so hard. Just let the baby come, let the baby come. And then that gives the tissues time to accommodate as that big stretch is coming. Yeah. So maybe perhaps leading up to delivery, doing a ton of Kegels is the wrong thing. Just right. Well, working on that reverse Kegel is huge. Right. So going into delivery, yeah, knowing how to relax well, because I feel like during delivery, we need a really loose pelvic floor, a really relaxed pelvic floor and a strong uterus. So kind of the opposite of what maybe many women would think like, oh, strong pelvic floor, that's going to push the baby out. Actually, that might prevent the baby from coming out easily. Yep. It's that um, knowing how to relax completely, just like with every other muscle that's important. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I have one final question. We're going to call her name Amanda because she was a little embarrassed to ask this, but I'm glad that she did because I think a lot of us 
women experience this and generally want to know if there's a solution. So let's talk about queefing (laughs) or essentially when air escapes from the vagina and makes like kind of a farting sound. What the heck is going on and why? And is there anything that we can do to prevent this from happening? I feel like there's a lot of moms that refuse to go to a public yoga class because of this issue. (laughs) Uh, So basically what that is, it's air getting trapped between the space of the the vaginal wall. So when the fascia is really loose, um, air can get in there. So part of that, I mean, it just happens. Like if if your legs are super spread, your vagina is a little bit open, air is going to get in and it happens. So one of the main things is know it happens to everybody and don't worry about it. But if there, if it's happening a lot, or you feel like there's a lot of kind of gaping or space in the Mm-hmm. The vagina, um, strengthening to close that and increasing the, the resting tone will help. Okay. Okay. And then what if like they were to do maybe right before they go into that position that they know is kind of vulnerable, mm-hmm. maybe do a small Kegel you got at it. that That's moment? Right. Would that help? Okay. That would be perfect. Yes. It would close it off so the air can't get in as they're moving into that position. Okay, cool. Okay, guys. It's not that crazy. <laughs> it's not crazy. No. Okay. I have a couple questions for you that I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> what does a pelvic floor f- specialist do in her spare time? I mean, it can't be all about vaginas and kegels and all that. You got to take a break from it, right? <laughs> yes. Me in particular. Yeah. I have two middle school children. And so my life is very full with their activities, art classes and lacrosse and track and football, basketball, soccer church. Um, We're involved in our church quite a bit. And as a family, we love to camp. So we go camping quite often around our beautiful state of Oregon. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And then what's the most rewarding thing about your job? Mm. Um, What I do is so rewarding because um, I'm able to help people in an area that they're so embarrassed and so uncomfortable talking about even mentioning that they have an issue and to see them regain life, regain the ability to go out and do the activities they want to do and be with people, um, be with their husbands intimately. Um, it is so wonderful. It's really, really rewarding to see their lives changed. Wow. I love that. I love that. So, so how does someone get in touch with a women's health physical therapist? How do they know where to go to find someone like you? Um, probably the best place is to go to the American Physical Therapy Association website. Okay. It's, uh, it's APTA.org, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Um, and then it has been the women's health section of physical therapy at the end of April, we just did a vote to change the name to something like the Academy of Pelvic Health Physical Therapy. And I don't okay. know if it's changed yet. Gotcha. So, so right now, so we're in a little transition period, but there is on the um, women's health section of the APTA website, there's something called a PT locator. So you can put okay. in your uh, zip code and find someone within that area who self-reports that they are a pelvic health specialist. That's perfect. And I will link that you guys in the show notes so that you have that direct link to the website. So Jocelyn, this has been so great. I feel like we covered so much ground and I really hope that all the women listening 
can come away from this feeling like, okay, I have a few more tools in my tool bag on what to do to take care of my body. Well, so good. I hope it was helpful. It was. So thank you so much. And we'll talk to you again. Okay. How awesome was Jocelyn? Oh my goodness, you guys. I hope that you learned a lot and you feel a little more equipped and maybe even empowered and emboldened to take care of your body in this unique way. I don't want you to feel embarrassed about any of this stuff because as it comes to find out, a lot of us deal with this. So hopefully this gave you the courage to go get help if it's something that you realized, wow, you know, I've been living with this for a while and this is stuff that actually can get fixed and I can feel so much better in my own body. I will make sure that all of the information that she gave us, the resources that she mentioned, are in the show notes, so go refer to those. And guys, listen, if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to the Strong Mamas podcast, leave a quick review, rate the show, and I would love to see who's listening. So if you're listening to this episode, just take a quick snapshot, a screenshot of the show and post it to your social media feed. Make sure you tag me in it at strong underscore mamas or on Facebook at strong mamas. So I can see who is watching the show, listening. You guys aren't watching this. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Stay tuned for next time and I'll talk to you then. Bye.